This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our enjoyment and experiences of language learning with you. I'm Beck. Hi, I'm Penny. We both live in Australia. We love learning languages and we love chatting to each other about it. We're not teachers. We're not experts. We're just learners like you, sharing our thoughts and experiences, both good and bad, of learning other languages with each other. So welcome to another episode of Language Chats. We're up to episode nine now. And today we have a listener question question episode. And in fact, we've got two listener questions, um, mm-hmm. which is very exciting. Um, so our first question comes from Jess, um, who's based in Melbourne. And Jess um, has written in and, and asked us a couple of things and we thought, you know, it would be a good chance to talk about it today. So Jess has said, I have been wondering since I listened to your first language chats podcast about learning a language with a formal qualification. I was wondering if either of you could elaborate on why you chose to pursue a language at uni level and the benefits. I'm thinking about it on the lines of a potential career change and needing a formal qualification. So thank you, Jess, and thank you for writing in and and sharing your thoughts and your experiences with learning and and asking us Mm -hmm. uh, a question. We're very excited. (laughs) Um, We've got a subsequent question which we thought would match really well with Jess's question from Joe, who's Mm -hmm. also based in Melbourne. And Joe wrote in a little while ago now and said, how have we both ended up loving European and Asian languages? And what led us to this this group of languages, respectively? Mm. Um, so I think that you know, it's a good chance for us to kind of touch on Joe's question and line that up really nicely with what Jess has been asking as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think they're both quite quite interlinked for for both of us. So um, it will be yeah, definitely two two good questions to answer together. So thank you to Joe and to Jess. Um, so let's let's kick it off. Yeah. So so I'm gonna. I think we should start with you, Penny, because um, okay. I think I've had quite a few people ask when I've when I've been talking about you actually, <laughs> and and mentioned your interest in in Asian languages. And people have often asked me how you got interested in Asian languages to begin with. Um, so how did you? Where did where did your love for Asian languages start? It's funny, isn't it? Looking back. Sometimes you just fall into these things, and I, I really think mm. that's what happened with me. I um, I was doing French at school, and then we had the opportunity to um, sign up for after-school classes in Japanese. And I think I was twelve or thirteen at the time, the start of high school, and I was just really interested. And so I started doing after-school classes, and then Japanese became a subject um, offered through the curriculum and so I I did that right through to year 12 and I I don't know what it was because at that stage I hadn't travelled overseas, I'd been to New Zealand but I hadn't been to either Europe or to Asia so I hadn't really had that exposure from a travel perspective. Um, So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But that definitely was the start of my love for Asian languages and I did end up going to Japan as a 15-year-old um, ah, on a short okay. exchange just for two weeks. It was for a Girl Scout camp, actually. Oh, cool. And we did a, a week at the camp and a week homestay in Tokyo. And, and even I think, then – oh, sorry. Go on. No, I was just going to say, I think that really helped to yeah. cement my love of 
Japan as, as a country and the, the language, but Asia as a whole. And so even then at 15, did you say you were when you went 15, to yeah, Japan? Yeah. Even at 15, were you already able to use much of what you had learnt at school? On not really, stage? not okay. really. And I think, you know, in some ways that felt a little bit frustrating too. Yeah. But in other ways, I was ahead of the other kids that were there who came from all across the world um, yeah. just by having that, you know, a couple of years exposure at school, mm-hmm. I was ahead of the game a little bit. But yeah. So not- it's, really, it's really interesting because Japanese, already starting with, with Japanese, you've got a language that has scripts that are not, not romanized scripts. So um, you're already looking at characters and learning characters and, and understanding language in a, in a really different way. Um, so then where, where did you go next from Japanese? Next from Japanese was um, I did a gap year in Vietnam. So after I graduated from high school, I spent a year living in Saigon in Vietnam and I started learning Vietnamese. And that was my next Asian language love and probably my, my, my true love. Um, and yeah, that's, that's what led me on to, um, to uni actually. So when I came back to Melbourne... After my year abroad, that was what I focused on at uni. Ah, so had you always planned – so at that point, had you already planned to do languages at uni? Well, no, I hadn't. When I um, popped in my preferences in my last year of school, I decided I wanted to do a tourism tourism course, tourism marketing oh, okay. um, degree. And I'd been accepted to a few different unis for that. And mm-hmm. then um, – oh, I'm sure this applies to many different countries and cities, but you get the chance to change change your mind if you want to. And yeah. so I did. I I um I said, oh no, I think I'm going to change my mind and I'm going to do a Bachelor of Arts Languages, which meant I could focus on languages. I could do Japanese and Vietnamese. Amazing. And the whole degree was revolved around languages with linguistics um, as a kind of a, a core component through the degree as well. That is like about as about as language focused, I suppose, as a university degree can can get. Really? Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did um, you did you know at that point? So as you were going through this, your your languages degree, did you have an idea of what you thought you might like to do? Uh, what you might like to do at the end of that? Not really. I think um, I think that's one of the tricky things with. With an arts degree sometimes and with a languages degree is that you you potentially can get a little pigeonholed mm. that perhaps the direction of where your your focus might lead you might be to teaching or it might be to interpreting or translating. And I knew when I got to the end of my degree that I actually didn't want to do any of those things. Mm-hmm. So I was a little bit stuck because um, I knew that I love languages and I – love learning and I love speaking and communicating and, and challenging myself in that way, but I wasn't sure career-wise what I wanted mm-hmm, to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in true penny spirit, <laughs> after, <laughs> after I'd done my honours in Canberra at the ANU, I went back to Vietnam and had another six-month stint there. Yep. Got to um, use all of your, your great Vietnamese. Well, got to, got to use it in real life. Yeah. I think that's one of the things about uni is you, you do get a bit um, – I don't know, kind of hidden away in, in uni world. Yes. So it was nice to get back into real life and, and to 
to use it. And was there properly. anything when you went back to Vietnam that anyone asked your qualifications for? <laughs> like, did sorry, sorry? I suppose I suppose the real question here is: Did you do you think that that uni qualification actually helped you, like, with your next step? With my next step, yeah. I th- well. It's, I think it's a, I don't know, two-prong answer. Yeah. I think definitely having been to uni and having done a degree um, was a stepping stone for my next decision, which was to do a master's in tourism, mm-hmm. marketing and tourism research. So I think that, that in that sense, that was a helpful thing to have. Um, but in terms of having a qualification in a language or in languages, um, mm. Yeah, I'm not sure it actually was a huge, big deal for anyone that that I spoke to. I think I think a lot of people actually were more curious than anything. Oh, is this what you studied at uni? Oh, how interesting. You know, how did you come across this and how did you find it? Oh, that's so, you know, such a unique combination. Mm. Um, so, it, you know, in a way it's a great conversation starter because a lot of people don't come across graduates that have potentially – studied Japanese and Vietnamese yeah for sure and it's also not the most like I feel like it's not the most natural combination either like I feel like are are there more people who might have done you you would probably know more about this than I do but are there more people in sort of Asian studies who would have done say Japanese and Korean together or maybe even Japanese and Chinese together but not necessarily like Vietnamese I think you're right yeah I think you're right Vietnamese is really an outlying (laughs) outlier language um for a lot of kids with heritage though Vietnamese was important um I think I was one of the rare students who didn't have Vietnamese heritage, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, whereas in, Jap- in the, the Japanese component was completely reversed. Okay. Um, so that, that was, you know, another interesting part of the whole study, actually. Yeah, definitely. Getting to see how kids who have been exposed to the language growing up but might not have done any formal mm. study in Vietnamese until they decided to do it at uni. Yep. Um, you know, they had different learning challenges to me. But still challenges because, you know, it's you're still coming at it from a different a different different way. Yeah, absolutely. And something that yeah. there would be I mean, lots of people in Australia who are of Vietnamese heritage and yeah, may have grown up speaking it at home, but I suppose what, what you're speaking at home language wise may not always be um, I suppose for want of a better term, like correct language <laughs> yeah. um I, yeah. I think that's that goes for lots of other languages not just Vietnamese yeah for sure and you, for you don't get the exposure to reading and writing necessarily either true 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 yeah 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 oh, how interesting so what about you Beck? so mm. tell me a little bit about how your uni course worked because because French was really your first <laughs> your first true love um Still and is. how did you integrate that into uni and what, what led you to French? So, so my, well, my uni experience was a, bit, was a bit different in that languages was not my focus um, when I was at uni. So I did French as a, as a diploma um, concurrently while I was um, doing my, my main degree at the time, which was I, I did a Bachelor of Science. Um, and so, yeah, I took a diploma in languages, basically just so that I could keep up my French while I was doing my science degree. Um, yeah, such a great idea. Yeah, yeah, no, it was a really, it was a really good opportunity and a nice thing that I was able to do at my uni. I went to, um, Melbourne Uni and 
um, yeah, it was a cool. It was a cool way to be able to maintain like an arts based uh, uh, focus. Discipline. Yeah, an arts based <laughs> yeah. discipline. Exactly, an arts based discipline while actually still doing my science degree, which was all sorts of other stuff. Um, and something, yeah, I was really happy about because I had loved French at school, and I think even even then I was really worried about like losing it and not being able to in some way integrate it into my uh, tertiary studies. So, mm. yeah, it was a um, yeah concurrent diploma um, in languages, but specialising in French. Um, and yeah, it was something that I really loved. I um, did, I was a member of the, the French club at my uni, <laughs> which was cool. And I was pretty involved yep. in that too. So that was kind of another, another fun way to be able to use the language a little bit and practice with some other people who were interested. Um, but yeah, it was definitely not really my, not really my focus, kind of just like a, a fun extra part of my, my uni experience, but that meant that I still had something to show for it at the end. So um the way that my my bachelor's degree was structured at the time at Melbourne Uni, they had just introduced the ability to be able to take some classes from other faculties within your bachelor's. So like I could have done my science degree and just done a random French class here and there, but I wouldn't have actually had a, a qualification at the end of that. It just would have been a couple of subjects that I did within my science degree. So being able to do the diploma meant that I had, I added some extra time to my degree. An actual yeah, yeah, exactly. But I came out at the end with the diploma in addition to my bachelor's. So do you think having that that additional qualification, the actual, I guess, the piece of paper that says you've got that diploma in French, yeah. how has that, I guess, affected your career post-graduation or, or has it, I guess, um, made any impact in what you've done or jobs you've been selected for? To be honest, probably not really at all <laughs> yet. Yeah. Um, I mean, like it was a nice thing to to do and to be able to say that I have. So if I ever needed to be able to prove to somebody that I had done a qualification in French, then I can. Um, but look, up until this point in time, um, it certainly hasn't been like a prerequisite for for any job that I've had since finishing uni. Um, yeah, not not really at all, I don't think. I, I think, it, look, it would be different maybe if I decided to move to, you know, somewhere that was French-speaking. Um, yeah, because then you, you would have the... Yeah, mm, exactly, for like mm. job uh, sort of applications and things like that. But, yeah, for any jobs that I've had in Australia, I haven't, I don't think it's probably been more of a, a nice-to-have than a than a need to have (laughs) but that doesn't I don't think that reduces its its value like in my mind there was lots that I I got a lot out of doing that diploma like personally um being able to maintain my French while I was doing all of the other stuff that I did at uni that was like so completely unrelated to languages (laughs) um was yeah personally really important to me like I'm glad that I had it it was this really enjoyable part of my uni experience um and just such a different way of thinking too um the way that I had to think for my language classes was so different to my science classes and to my engineering stuff um it was just it was so much more you know, words based so much more about communicating. Um, mm. It was a yeah, really, really different, different content, totally different subjects that 
just helped me to still have a really varied experience while I was at uni and not just be focusing on on, on one faculty. Um, Would have been such a nice balance too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Given, you know, it, having it was. both parts of the brain kind of engaged and at different times in different ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, I really, I really needed it at the time. So I think like now I kind of look back on that and I'm like, yeah, well, I didn't, you know, I wasn't just doing it to like get a job that said I had to have a diploma in French or something like I I did it because actually I just enjoyed it and um, I'm appreciative of that I suppose. (laughs) What what led you to French in the first place? I mean I know we've spoken Mm. in the past a little bit about this but maybe it's a good chance to um, talk about it again. Just to clarify so French um, was just kind of something that I fell into that it was purely just circumstance Um, it just happened to be the language that the school that I went to taught from prep (laughs) so um that's that is pretty much how I ended up learning French it's not actually very much more complicated than that um I really disliked French as a younger child like at primary school I hated it um I thought it was really boring although part of that was also because of the way that it was being taught at the time which you know we know what primary school language education can be like, not saying it's like this in all schools. And also I went, I went to a good school, but, um, you know, I think it just can be lots of the same things repeated over and over again. Mm. Um, Potentially curriculum across the board as well, yeah. not just necessarily languages. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I think that mm. as, a, as a kid I just found it really boring that every year we would go through colours and animals and things in the classroom and the weather um and so yeah I did I didn't like it very much for probably the first I guess five years or six years that I was doing it at school in primary school um but then kind of really found it I don't know found a found an interest in it um when I started my high school years which was still at the same school so I was at the same school for the whole way through hence being able to kind of keep French going mm-hmm. um but I really as soon as we started learning a little bit of grammar um and I know this probably sounds really strange to lots of people that at the point at which I started learning grammar, I started really liking language, but there it is. Um, <laughs> so as soon as I had, as soon as I had a little bit of grammar, it just, it opened up this, I don't know, it's like this exciting new world for me where I could like actually piece a sentence together and not just only repeat the, the few sentences we'd learnt. And so for me, that was where it just, I just, yeah, opened up my mind and I got all excited about it suddenly and then I really loved French through the rest of school um, and so I just kept it going but yeah I mean getting into why did I start learning French to begin with not because as a five-year-old I found a particular affinity with the French language at all it was just because it was the language that my school offered you had no choice <laughs> I had no choice but then I felt like I'm kind of glad I had no choice I, I don't know we, we did have choices later on um in in high school that is and and I did some Japanese then too and a very very little amount of Indonesian right at the beginning of year seven um but yeah, from primary school level, it was French all the way through. So um, yeah, it's that's funny because it we we've actually studied the same languages at school. I just realised because I actually, yeah, did true. French, Japanese, and a tiny bit of Indonesian in high school yeah. as well. But just like just sort of in in different um, different amounts, yeah, and different, different amounts. focus, different, yeah, exactly, yeah. and at different times. Um, so I mean, looking at what Joe sent in and asked us about how we both ended up, I guess, having this focus 
by default, it sounds like, yeah, for both of us, really, on, I guess, Asian, more Asian languages for me and more the European side mm. for you. Because after you um, graduated and had spent that time doing French, you have since added a couple of other mm. European languages. Yep. And I know that you're also um, now back revisiting Japanese mm. as well yes. this year, which is very exciting. Mm. Um, did you... You know, in those years since uni and stuff, when you've you've started learning Italian and German, um, was there any any part, I guess, in your mind that you thought, oh, do I want to learn a different language? You know, mm. Arabic or Korean or, or something. Or, or, but do you think Italian and German were just the two languages that you had the, I guess, the biggest desire and motivation to learn? So, hmm, great, great question. Um, I think just throw that out, Danny. Just throw it out there. So easy to answer. Um, I think a combination of a couple of things. Um, I think when having started with one European language that I then was somewhat comfortable in, um, like had some confidence in too, but really, really enjoyed, really loved. I think that going from that first European language to other European languages was in was maybe a more natural transition initially mm, so yep, like yep. I started learning German before I started learning Italian um so I, like I would say now that Italian's been a lot easier having already learned French um so like for for many other people, probably like going from French to Italian first would seem like the more logical, <laughs> the more logical um, transition. Like go from Romance language to Romance language as opposed to Romance language to Germanic. Um, mm. But mm. I think yeah, like maybe maybe it's being sort of comfortable with um, languages that are in kind of the, the Roman script um, initially. Look, hmm. I want to say actually that the second part of this, which I think is related, is also that having studied French for so long also drove where I travelled as a younger person. And I think that then probably also influenced what I decided to do next. So, um, you know, because I was learning French and I wanted to improve my French, I did a couple of exchanges to one to France and then one to Canada. But I ended up doing more travel in Europe more generally um, and I think that that sort of probably influenced me to want to do, well, it influenced me to want to learn some German. And then that also influenced me to want to learn some Italian, doing more travel in Europe. And so maybe it was just that. Like I have done much, 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 much less travel in Asia. Um, and so it's only like I think that maybe my exposure to Asian languages and desire to want to learn them probably hasn't been as strong because um, I haven't had that um, motivation of having maybe a trip to go to somewhere um but what about what about you because like you've done quite a lot of travel in Asia do you think that that has affected why you've well, been just so listening to, to you. Asian languages <laughs> well, just listening to you answer the question I'm like oh I think I'm the same as Beck yeah um so I was thinking where well, how did that happen for me but I think my my dad lived in Asia for about six or seven years during that um kind of that post high school early 20s mid 20s kind of stage so you know we were visiting him heaps and spending time traveling and and you know I obviously had that time in Vietnam um where I lived there twice 
as well. Mm. So I did a bit of travel around then and I think you're right. I think the exposure that you have, especially when you're at that kind of really impressionable age, I think yeah. late teens, mid-teens, late teens, early 20s, it's it's all that kind of – I don't know that 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 time in your life when you're you're open and you're you're really you know um, taking it all in. Yeah. Um, so I mean, perhaps it's it's the same for me as well. I think it comes down to exposure and and where I was travelling to and what I was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. I think having done Japanese at school helped me feel comfortable with learning other scripts. Yeah. And I think having done Vietnamese helped me be comfortable with the tonal languages and a little bit more difficult pronunciation perhaps than Japanese and then later through work I was encouraged to look at adding Chinese which I did and I think you know I possibly wouldn't have been in that job if I hadn't have had the the Asian experience and the kind of interest anyway so it was kind of a natural fit and then you know, by adding Mandarin Chinese, um, I think in a sense it probably was easier maybe. I mean, maybe not easier to learn, but easier for me to want to learn it. <laughs> Does that make sound, sense? Yeah, no, it's like, I mean, listening to, listening to you talk about it, I'm definitely feeling like when you say that your, you know, Japanese kind of helped you get used to another script, Vietnamese helped you get used to the tone like a tonal language Mm. it definitely sounds like a natural progression um even if maybe you didn't realize it at the time (laughs) Um, and then having someone external yeah recommended or suggested or think you know why don't you or or seeing people that you're working with speaking Chinese going oh oh oh, I should do this that'd be so cool um and then knowing that it's possible I think yeah they all kind of like you it's kind of a that domino effect. Mm. Very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> it is for sure. Oh, so interesting to hear more about oh. your more about your your travels through languages. <laughs> I know, I know. You know me, Beck. I could talk about the flowers. I know, I know. Oh. Well, a big thank you to Jess and to Joe for submitting um, questions to us. Yeah, thanks, guys. And of course, if any of you guys listening have any questions. For us, we love hearing from you and, um, of course, we'll do our best to answer. Um, so you can just get in touch with us all the normal all the normal ways. Um, and thank you again for joining us on Language Chats. Um, Language Chats is a larger – part of a larger project which we started called Language Lovers AU where we are building a community of people who are interested in languages in Australia. So if you haven't already, please check out our website and subscribe to our mailing list um, at languagelovers.com.au. You can also find us on Instagram and on Facebook under Language Lovers AU. Um, And please also, if you have enjoyed this episode of Language Chats, leave us a review. Um, It helps other people to find us, especially other language lovers who might be interested in some of the chats we have. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.